0: In this message series called God in Culture, and um, I don't know about you, but going through the whole COVID season was really challenging for a lot of us. And in particular, uh, those of us in the church where we had a season where the church got shut down. And in the beginning, uh, the virus, we didn't know a lot about it. Uh, People were dying. Hospitals were full. We even lost uh, someone, dear sister in the Lord, in this church that we prayed for and believed God was going to heal her. And he didn't. And, And the struggle that we went through even as a church in the middle of that and, being, and and even the government telling us, you know, what we could and couldn't do during that season. And for me, as a spiritual leader, as a local pastor leading a local church, it was a very challenging time because uh, we were like fish out of water. We we literally, our, our churches were shut down and what we normally do, we weren't allowed to do for the sake of health and safety. And um, as, as a leader, I was torn between... You know, I know that we need spiritual life and health, and, and yet, you know, there's a real virus that is hurting people, and there's that tension there between do we follow what the government says or do we follow what we're supposed to spiritually do and what the Holy Spirit is saying and what the Bible says, and, and there, that tension, that very real tension there. Well, thankfully, uh, here in Montana, we we, we didn't have to stay shut down very long. And then by the time that we were able to reopen, we started getting more statistics and finding out more about this virus. But my point in, in sharing all this is I think the whole COVID season really awakened some things in people. Uh, for one, I think there was a lot of things that were happening in our world that were evil and, and dark, but were happening kind of on the down low, if you will. And COVID really seemed to expose or bring some of those things to the surface. And like many of you watching the news of all the racial tension happening in our nation and the political tension happening in our nation and uh, even uh, moral issues coming to the forefront on abortion and You know, same sex marriage and all these different things, I think all of us felt a little like, oh my gosh, what's happening in our world right now? Like, what's happening in our nation? Is this the nation that I grew up in? Is this the the nation that I I, I believe in? Is this the nation that I believe God's hand is upon? And so um, today I want to talk to you about the subject God in politics, or I'm sorry, the church in politics. Because I think if there's, there's some things that divide us uh, during that season, I remember even, even just the fact that our government said that we, uh, it, when we came back to church, that we could come back to church, but we had to space, you know, 12 feet apart, and um, some instances you're allowed to worship, but only with a mask, and, and all these different things, and the whole mask issue seemed to just really create this huge division in the church, and it kind of grieved me to see how much some of these issues were dividing us and, and causing sharp divisions amongst God's people and the church, and I think getting us off task, really getting our focus distracted on things that uh, are, you know, according to your beliefs, some, some are big deal, some of it's not. But regardless if it is or if it isn't, it's how we treated each other and how we handled those things. And I think the church got lost in the mix of a lot of that. And now here we are a couple of years after and we're trying to regain our footing. And if we're not careful, I think what, what we can the tendency can be is to go back to life as normal. And, and all of us during that season, we longed for normal. But I do believe that God was trying to use COVID as a way to awaken his church, to awaken his people, and to awaken us. Because I do believe that the church got a little sleepy. I think the church got a little bit lackadaisical. The church got, got lost its way a little bit. That we got a little bit too comfortable in our seats, in our churches, and lost sight of the fact uh, that the church was called to be salt and light and to make a difference. it was commissioned by Jesus himself to go into the world and, and not to lock ourselves in our churches and to hide you know behind the pews. And to hide behind our our Christianity and to create this private spiritual life, an entity called the church that separates itself from the rest of the world while the rest of the world is hopeless, dying, and progressively moving into a very dark time in history. But like you, I struggle to know what is our place, like what... What should we be doing and what shouldn't we be doing? Should the church get involved in politics or should we stay out of the political arena? Uh, what, what is our place? And, and as a pastor of a local church, what should I be saying and what shouldn't I be saying? And how do I lead my people? How do we live our lives? And so today I want to look at this very real topic about church and politics. And I want to start by looking at Matthew chapter 16, 16. Uh, and we're going to read a passage of Scripture here, Matthew 16, verse 13 through 19. And let me, let me set you up the background a little bit. My wife and I had the privilege and honor to get sponsored to go on a pastor's trip to Israel. It was on my bucket list, so that was kind of a cool thing, a little gift that God gave my wife and I this uh, past winter. And one of the places that we visited was a place called uh, Caesarea Philippi. It's actually the setting for which Jesus uh, gathered some of his disciples and would ask them a very important question. But I want to give you the context, the biblical context for what Jesus we're about to read, what Jesus was speaking into. Caesarea Philippi was uh, Philip was uh, Caesar's one of one of uh, one of the brothers, um, uh, Festus and some of the Roman emperors and and different government officials and. He gave him this area, and this area, Caesarea Philippi, was really a monument to the gods. It was a place uh, with a beautiful setting in nature. In fact, one of the most prominent gods was called Pan. Pan was uh, the god of nature, and so people, now a lot of uh, a lot of Gentiles would come to this area because it was like a a beautiful uh, nature area beautiful uh, ponds, and there's a little river stream that runs through it, and they built into the side of this hill all these different uh, gates that you can walk through uh, and go into caves where they would worship all these different types of gods. In fact, there was this beautiful natural pool where uh, people, just to be honest with you, they would bathe naked, and there was a lot of things that would happen in this area, that you would wonder why in the world would Jesus actually visit, not only visit this area, because this wasn't known as a good area. This was like an area, hey, you don't wanna go and you wanna stay away from. You don't wanna go to this place. This is a place where bad things happen, other gods are worshiped. yet Jesus brings his disciples to this place and he stops with the backdrop of everything I just described to ask his disciples this very question. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, he says, "'When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, "'he asked his disciples, "'who do people say that the Son of Man is?' "'And they replied, some say John the Baptist, "'others say Elijah, and still others, "'Jeremiah or one of the prophets. "'But what about you?' I love this. "'See, Jesus will always make it personal. It's not about what your friend thinks not about why they come to church but why are you here who do you say that i am because this is personal and jesus says what about you he asked who do you say that i am and simon peter answered i love the brashness of, of simon peter just speaking up simon peter answered you are the messiah the son of the living god and jesus replied Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. More importantly, thank you for your gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the declaration that he is the son of God, the Messiah, Yeshua, the anointed one. We're so grateful for you, Jesus. I pray today, Jesus, you, you say you are the word. You are the way, you're the truth, you're the life. Would you open our hearts and minds so that we can encounter you and experience you through your word this morning. I pray that your word would enlighten us that it would encourage us. And I pray right now, God, that any preconceived ideas that we came in with, that we would lay them down so that we can receive purely what you have for us today. I believe every time that we gather, you have something specific for every person, every person watching online, every person in Eureka. So I pray right now that you'd open our hearts and minds and I give you this time. I pray, I, I declare I am nothing without your anointing. I pray that you would speak through me to the hearts of your people and that we would be changed in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. The church and politics. Man, this is a, uh, this is such a divisive topic. And we got Republicans in the room, we got Democrats in the room, we got all different kind of ideologies and, and thoughts about this topic. But um, I believe that Jesus shed some light on this topic to us, even through this, this passage of scripture that we just read. I, um I kind of had a, a little bit of a rough day. I think it was Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. I don't remember. Sometimes the days just are blur. How many of you can relate? And uh, I came home after a day of, of pastoring, meeting with people, and, you know, one of the challenges, uh, one of the things that challenges me, and I think all pastors, is, is we have a burden for people. We're in this because we love people and we want to help people. We want to help them come to know Jesus more and to live in the fullness of everything that Jesus died so that the purpose and the destiny that God has for you can be fulfilled. And, and yet there's so many needs, and there's not enough time in a day. And I came home, and I was just feeling a little discouraged. Uh, it's just, there's so much sometimes, and, and you know only so many hours in a day, and only so much you could do. Anyway, I was in my room, and I was getting, I was getting ready for something, to go to another meeting or something like that. And, and in the other room, my wife is cooking dinner, and she's watching the news, and I hear this man speaking, and he's talking about a God, our country, being founded on God, and there's something in his voice that just kind of awakened my spirit a little bit. It caught my attention so much that I kind of stopped what I was doing, and I went out into uh, our living room, and to find this guy that was speaking on the TV was the new speaker of the house. And... Um, and yeah, and this isn't, listen, hear me out. This isn't a, uh, I'm pro whoever, you know, whatever party the Speaker of the House is. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with what he was saying. And Mike Johnson is, um, uh, he, he is a government official. Um, he's part of the House of Representatives out of the state of Louisiana. And he was saying something, I wanna read it to you, okay? This is part of his speech because I, I was drawn in to what he was saying. And actually, what he was saying started giving me hope again. Like many of you, you've wondered, is there even any hope for our country? Is there hope for our government? And, and I started listening to this man, and if you know the backstory about how he became the Speaker of the House, th- this matters even more because he wasn't supposed to be the Speaker of the House. Uh, in fact, there was another, Kevin McCarthy was the Speaker of the House. He got removed, and then there was three votes for another guy, which failed. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like, our government is so broken. Like, what is wrong that we can't even pick a Speaker of the House and agree on who that's going to be? And so one thing leads to another. Well, uh, this guy, he gets put in as the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, and he says this. I, I want This is a quote. I want to share this with you. He says, I don't believe that there are any coincidences in a matter like this, meaning him becoming Speaker of the House. He says, I believe that Scripture, the Bible is very clear. Now, mind you, he's speaking this to the floor, on the floor of the House of Representatives, to the House of Representatives, and it's on national television. He says, I believe that Scripture, the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raises up those in authority. He raised up each of you speaking to the House. All of us, Johnson told the house, and I believe that God has ordained and allowed us to be brought here for this specific moment in this time. And I heard that, and something in me says, yes. Like, I believe that Mike Johnson wasn't just speaking to the House of Representatives I believe that Mike Johnson was speaking to the church of Jesus Christ. Like he was speaking to the church. And I just want to start out by declaring to you that scripture even says that you and I were appointed to live in this time in history in this specific place. And that it is not a coincidence that you're alive on the face of the earth right now, right here. And that you are part of this thing that Jesus birth called the church the church that he gave his life for, that he breathed his very spirit into. And I believe that we, as the church, have the greatest opportunity possibly in the history of the world to be the church once again that we read about in the book of Acts, that we would stand before kings and officials and and, and people of influence and they would look at us and say, I don't get it. These are just ordinary men. They're untrained, unschooled, ordinary people. Yet I see them doing the things that Jesus did. And I notice and I recognize something in them that makes them different. I see Jesus in you. I see the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead alive inside of you. And that gives me hope. And as they stood before him, they didn't know what to do with these guys. And then somebody, one of them spoke up and said it's probably the most wise thing. I said, listen, if, if God is for this, you can't stop it. And they couldn't. And they still can't. Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so here we are in the 21st century, and we've gone through everything we've gone through, and, uh, and here we are. And I think there's some things that we can learn from this passage of Scripture and other Scriptures. And the first thing that I think we need to understand is this. Uh, Jesus was trying to get our attention and help us to understand that, that we're living in two kingdoms in conflict. Like, uh, when you got adopted into the family of God, when you got born again, you were born again into a family. The family of God. This is called the church. That's why this isn't an organization. It's not a 501c3, it is the ecclesia. It is God's idea. It's called the church. It's the family of God. Once you weren't a people, but now you are a people. You're the people of God. You're the family of God. And when you become a member of the family of God, you get a new name, you get a new identity, and you get a new family of origin. Behold, old things have passed away and all things have become new. And now we need to start to live in the new identity and the new, our new place in the family of God, the church. But the church is part of the kingdom of God. We are a church, and we are part of the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is the kingdom of light. It's the kingdom of truth. And there are two kingdoms in conflict. And you see this in everything. Innately, we know this. In fact, I really wanted to call this, uh, this message The Rise of the ecclesia. And just a little Star Wars, you know, in me that just, you know, the light and darkness thing. It's real. But think about that. Everything from movies to Lord of the Rings, there's, there's dark forces at work in the world. And yet there is on the other side another kingdom. It's the kingdom of light. It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of good and, and the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of evil. And for those of us who have walked over through the last couple of years, we have seen the kingdom of darkness rise and, and when, when I look at statistics, it grieves me. Uh, and when you look at the state of our world right now, it grieves me. When I look at the state of our country, it grieves me. In fact, I believe, and I, I, I shared this with a group of leaders, that we need to get back to a Nehemiah attitude. And in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1... It says that Nehemiah, he was, he was taken in captivity out of Israel, his hometown, and he was brought to Babylon. Interesting, Babylon. And he was taught Babylonian ways, and he was to serve the king. He was the cupbearer to the king, which, you know, not too bad of a job. He got to taste the wine and make sure it wasn't poison, unless, of course, it's poison, and then you're dead. Um, that's not very good. But that was his job. He's a cupbearer. That's what he did. That was, his, that was his job. He's not a priest. He's not a king. He's no government official. He's not a leader. He's no things. He's an ordinary person like you and me. He's a cupbearer to the king. And his brother comes for a visit. And his brother tells him about the state of Israel. And, and how it's, it's, in, it's demolished. There's nothing left. It's, it's been burned by fire. And people are in mourning. And there's no, there's no house of God to worship in anymore. That's the state of our land. And it says that, it says that Nehemiah was so, like, taken by the news of this that it says that he sat down and he wept. And he didn't do, like, I think we... I think one of the the things that the enemy has tried to do is desensitize the church. Desensitize people in general, but even desensitize the church to where we can see horrific things that are happening in in the world, in Israel, in Ukraine, and we can just, like, for a minute be like, oh, man, that really... that's terrible. But then we scroll through social media and go on and you know, check my fantasy football score and, or play a video game and we just move on. Nehemiah didn't do that. He actually sat down and said he stopped. And I think too many of us, we live such busy lives in the 21st century that we don't take time enough to actually let the current state of our nation settle into us and sit down and actually let it be a burden for me. Like I'm burdened for our nation. Like, I feel I'm grieving for the state of America. Like, this isn't America the beautiful. It isn't the land of the free. It isn't the land of in God we trust anymore. And it is quickly moving in a direction. And yet, here we are. We're the church. And I was reading a a great book. I highly recommend it. It's called Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas. And... I was reading, he was giving the account, he's a, he's a studies theologian and history, and he wrote a book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in the time of Nazi Germany, in particular when Germany was um, moving towards a state of communism. Um, and he was alive at that time, and I really, he talks about Dietrich Bonhoeffer being a prophetic voice to the nation of, of Germany at the time. and And he tells the story about how Um, as as Hitler was starting to take more and more power away from the people and move the nation into uh, one of its darkest seasons where they would slaughter and bring Jews to uh, concentration camps. and Terrible, terrible. He said that he brought the local pastors of churches together and he called them together and, and he warned them uh, of this evil that, that, that we, they needed to, at the time, speak out against the evil that they were seeing happening in the nation. Well, after that, all of them went back to their churches and decided that they weren't gonna do that. And he says that they stayed in their churches and they closed the doors and they said, when, when the sound of trains taking people to concentration camps to be executed brutally, He said that while the trains got louder going by their churches, they would sing in their churches all the more louder to drown out the noise of the trains. And I wonder if the church in America hasn't gotten to a place where we have tuned a deaf ear to the cries of people that are hopeless and hurting. And that if it isn't time for the ecclesia, the church of Jesus Christ, to rise again, to be awakened again to our role as the church. See, you can't even begin a discussion on God and politics until you get back to the the foundation of what is the church. And what is our purpose as the church? And what are we supposed to do as the church? And so I have a few things for you that I believe that we are called to do and called to be as the church because for many in the church there's been this separation there's some that fall on the side of hey We're not supposed to be involved in politics. We're just supposed to preach the gospel and and be the church and not get involved in all that. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have people who believe that we're supposed to speak out on it, that the church should be the, the, the one who speaks the most into the cultural issues and what's happening in America from a government standpoint and everything in between. So what is our response? What are we supposed to do as the church? We have to understand the beginning of this is there are two kingdoms in conflict. There will always be Jesus when he was confronted by Pontius Pilate said this in John 18, 36. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. It's the kingdom of God. And we are dual citizens. We have our citizenship in heaven, and we have our citizenship on earth as Americans. And how do we balance the two? Where where do we find ourselves? How do we navigate through this? Again, you have to go back to what is the role of the church? I believe that Jesus established the role of the church when he said in Matthew 16, what we just read, verse 18. He says, and this, is, this, this verse has been taken out of context. It's been widely misunderstood. I hope to bring a little bit of truth this morning to unpack this. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. Yet yeah, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now let's pause there. If you could leave that scripture up there just for a moment. Um, he says, you are Peter. The Greek word is petros. It means little rock. He says, you are Peter, little rock, and on this, uh, on this rock, Petra, is big rock, I will build my church. So is Jesus saying that you're Peter and I'm going to build my church on Peter? No. no, he's saying that you are Peter, you're little rock, and I will build my church on the big rock, Petra, which is the statement that Peter made. That you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. That is the Petra, the big rock that Jesus will build his church on. It is the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the only hope for the world. It isn't about who's in office, Democrat, Republican. It doesn't, if we win the election, if we lose the election, Jesus Christ is King of kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He is our saving grace. No politician can save us. No party can save us. Only Jesus Christ. Christ can save us. But he says, I will use you, Peter, Petra, Little Rock, and you will partner with me to build my church. So now you have to understand this. If you're a builder back then, Petra, uh, there was something called the cornerstone. The cornerstone was a carefully picked out rock that was the first stone that was laid when you built a building. It was the stone that you aligned all the other stones in the foundation with, that you lined up the stones according to that stone. Jesus is saying that I am the big stone. I am the chief cornerstone. I am the foundation for the church that the church will be built on. And if you, Peter, will partner with me, you'll be a part of building that foundation if you align on the fact that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. But you also have to understand this. Not only do we build the church on the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, but we have to understand our role, our place in that building of church. You have to understand this is the first time in all of Scripture that the word church is actually used. And if you don't understand the word that I believe that Jesus carefully picked out to use, you'll you'll misunderstand our purpose as the church. Now, he uses this word church is actually the Greek word ekklesia, ekklesia. Now, this is one of the only times in Scripture that normally when you take the original language that the Bible was written in, in this case Greek, uh, some other cases Hebrew or Aramaic, uh, normally you take the original word and it's a direct translation of that Greek word into our modern English word. This is one of the few, or if any, instances that I'm aware of that it isn't a direct translation but a direct substitution, what do you mean by that the word church isn't translated from ekklesia the way it should it's not a good translation actually because they didn't think we would understand what that meant they used the german word kirche k i r c h e which means a place to gather a house To gather, a place to gather. It meant a physical building such as this that people would gather. Now, this is vastly indifferent to the original word that Jesus actually used, ecclesia. I want to show it to you. The ecclesia actually means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place as an assembly. Now the word is actually a civic word. It was used as a military term to, to call people to take arms and to go and fight for a cause. So when you see the difference between the German word kirch that churches we get the word church from and the original word for church that Jesus used ecclesia these are two different things and this is where a lot of us uh, misunderstand the purpose of the church. Jesus isn't saying the purpose of the church is go to a building Jesus was saying the purpose of the church is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So the first thing that we need to understand is this. We are called out to go in. We're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. But we're not to stay in the light. We become the light. And we're called to go into the darkness with our light to be the light of the world. We're called out to go in. You have to get this, that what Jesus meant by the church and his idea of the church was never meant for us to come to a place once a week to gather, to worship him, to hear his word, to say yes and amen, and then to go back and live our lives. However we want to. I personally believe and have the conviction that if the church doesn't awaken to the ecclesia of Jesus and that we stay stuck in the Church of church, that this is the problem that we're seeing in the world today. We're seeing a decline in morality. We're seeing an increase in darkness, in anxiety, in fear, in divorce rates. You name it, all the litmus tests of morality of how the world is being affected or not affected by us, who are carriers of Jesus. And the light and the love and the hope that he brings. And so we got to stop staying in our churches complaining about the state of the world, the state of government, the state of politics, and simply be the church that Jesus called us to be. We are the church and we are the hope of the world. But until we get this revelation that we are called to be the church in the public arena, in the public place, we are called to be, we are called out so that we can go in now think about that rhythm called out to go in called out to go in you're called here you're called out we gather together so that we get strengthened we get imparted the truth to uh, we get filled with the Holy Spirit and so that we go out with what we came in with and we take what we got here and we bring it out to a lost and dying and hopeless world Oh, come on. Somebody better get excited this morning. I feel like I'm preaching to myself. But when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. He was saying, I'm going to build, I'm going to build my church on the chief cornerstone, which is me. The fact that I'm the Messiah and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Some translations say it will prevail against it. Now, people have gotten confused about that. Some people take the approach that we're supposed to be separate, separate ourselves from the world, get in our churches, get out of our cabins in Montana with our Bibles and our guns and our crates of food, and lock the doors. And we're not going to let the gates of hell get in our church. That's not what the scripture says. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's actually saying it's an offensive move. He's saying, I've called you to go into the world with the gospel, the very power. This is why he said, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the very power to see lives changed. We got to take that power. Come on, greater is he that is in you and I than he that is in the world. And we are called to not be in the world, not be of it, but in it. And we're supposed to take the gospel message and bring it to the world. And the church, man, if we would get this, if every one of us would get this that we are called out to go in and when we go in listen the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church of Jesus Christ when the church awakens to its calling and its destiny Matthew twenty-eight eighteen says this then Jesus came to them and said this listen to what he says carefully all authority in heaven one kingdom and on earth second kingdom Trump card, both kingdoms have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That word nations is the word ethnos. You know what it means? People who aren't like you, don't look like you, don't talk like you, don't dress like you, don't act like you, don't know the Bible like you. Don't say praise God you know when something happens and we want to criticize people that aren't like us that don't live like us don't talk like us don't vote like us don't think like us when we didn't think that way before we knew Jesus and so how dare we be so arrogant as the church to think people need to come in alignment with our morality when they don't even know God therefore go and make disciples of, of people who aren't like us baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit and the Son of Man and teaching them to keyword obey we don't like that we just like to talk about the bible but if we would actually obey it it leads us into life, provision, protection, blessing. There's a blessing. This isn't the happiness of the world that I got all my toys and all my life is, is pain-free. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm living good, I'm comfortable. I got plenty of money in the bank and all that. No, this is the kind of, it's something called blessing blessing is when the hand of god is on your life in a way that things don't have to align just perfectly things cannot be going good in your life yeah you could be fighting cancer you could be fighting your wife you could be fighting your kids you could be fighting your bank account and yet you could have blessing on your life because god is on me because i'm obeying his word i'm following jesus he says teaching them to obey everything i've commanded you and and i love this this is the promise if we'll do this, church, listen, because you might be like, man, that's not for me. That's for you, Pastor Lance. Well, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. Because you know what? I've got, a, I've got a realm of influence. In fact, Ephesians 4, chapters 11 through 13, it says this. Now, Jesus gave some gifts to the church, some apostles, some prophets from pastors, evangelists, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. What does that mean? My job isn't to minister to everybody, save everybody. My job is to equip you to be the ministers, to go out into the world and be the ecclesia of Jesus. Which leads me to my next point. Be the church in every area of culture that God has called you to. Do you know that God has called you specifically? Man, this scripture that says God has appointed you to live in this season, this place, this place here, Kalispell, Montana. Some of you love that. Some of you don't. It doesn't matter if God called you here. You have to understand there's a purpose in you being here. There's a reason that you're here for such a time as this. And if God called you here, he's got a plan and purpose for you being here. In fact, uh, you know, I know we're living in a day and age of, of sloppy grace and Americanized gospel and crazy stuff is said in church and done in church and all that stuff. And I believe that we've come under the compulsion to think that, you know, everything we do in the church is for me and it should be for me. And this consumer mindset has creeped in. But I personally believe that we are here to serve Jesus and to worship him. And and if God brought you here, I know that we think we get to pick a church. But I personally believe that if you will surrender to the Lord, he will lead you to a church he's called you to. Like he's called you to a church. You don't you don't just pick one or choose one. You say, God, where are you calling me to? And sometimes that it is even to the church that you like the best. You might like the preacher. We we take it like a menu. Well, I like the preaching here, but I'm not so happy about the worship here. I like the worship over here. I don't know, big, too big, too small, you know. I don't like this ministry, that ministry. No. Just ask Jesus, where do you have me to be? And let me tell you, there's some amazing churches in this valley. This isn't a promotion for Hope Church. This has absolutely nothing about Hope Church. This is about the kingdom of God. And so, but I will tell you, if He hasn't called you here, figure out where He's called you, and I will bless you. You need to go where you're called. But God calls you to be a part of a church. So if you're here, you're here for a reason. So what's your purpose? Why are you here? Why am I here? Man, here's why you're here, Matthew five thirteen. In fact, in the message version, that's exactly what Eugene Peterson says. He says, "Here's why you're here. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, to trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. You're a, you are a city on a hill, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people go in their churches." and stay in their churches, and praise Jesus, and then leave, and don't do it anywhere else, because this is where we're supposed to, do. yes, it's one of the, but we're supposed to worship Jesus just as much outside of here as we are in. But why do we hide our Christian lives in the secular world? Can I, can I tell you one of the greatest lies of the enemy? That there is this separation of not only church and state, but there's a separation between the secular and the sacred. God is omnipresent it isn't an us and them it's his world it's his government it's his nation he's sovereign over it all it isn't this devil has this part God has this part no God is everywhere he's omnipresent there isn't this big separation between secular and sacred you know what the difference is? where you are because you're sacred you're holy you're a royal priesthood You've been called apart, set apart, right? So where you are, God is. Where you are, hope is. That's why we call our our initiative an Evergreen Hope is Here. Because where you are, there's hope. Because Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? So there is no separation. The only difference is, where are you going to put your feet? Are we going to stay in our churches? Or are we going to go into the darkness as light? Are we going to be salt and light? So you have to understand, Jesus called salt and light. Back then, salt was a preservation agent. You take meat that started getting uh, bacteria on it, it started spoiling the meat, or, or uh, it, it acts like a cancer. You ever see mold that gets on food or something? Like it starts little and it starts to spread. It's a beautiful picture of what evil, of what darkness does in our culture. It starts with just a little spot, but if unattended to, it starts to spread. We see this all the time in our nation. This is why we're called to be as the church salt. We are the preservation agent of God. We are supposed to be all over our world so that evil cannot take a root or get a foothold or spread. It's lies, it's deception, and it's darkness. We are called to be light, the light of the world. We're supposed to be a beacon a city on the hill. The church is to be a place where people look at the way we live. They look at our marriages. They look at the blessing and favor on our lives. Doesn't mean our lives are perfect, but in the middle of it, we can have joy. I'm not getting down about my circumstances. I'm not getting down about the things that are in my life that are that make me anxious or fearful. I am trusting in the living God that is my hope. He's my provider. He's my peace. He's my joy. He's my life. And he's my God. And I may not be rich. I may not have a lot of things. I may not be in perfect health. I still got struggles. I still got a little sin. But my God is able to do immeasurably more than ever I could ever ask, think, or imagine. And if I will just continue to surrender to him my life and trust him, the people outside will say, man, why is it that you went through what you went through and you didn't lose your faith? Your faith didn't blow up, deconstruct. How is it that you could go through that divorce? How is it that you could lose your business? How is it that your kid could be strung out on drugs, but I still see a smile on your face? And it ain't some fake cheesy, you know, I won't say it, smile. But I could see there's genuine peace on your life. Like you're not flustered. Yeah, stuff's happened in the world, but God's still on the throne. And see, this is where we have to understand the sovereignty of God. There's some theological persuasions that would lead us to believe that God is so sovereign that he doesn't need us to act or do anything. And I think that is a little bit detrimental to the way we see ourselves as the church. See, Jesus told Peter, whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven. In other words, Peter, there's something, you have a part to play in this. You have a part to play in ushering in the kingdom of God. And part of that is, is my third point is we need to be people that are praying. We need to be people by prayer. Right? Chronicles, what is, what is the Chronicle? The, the, come on. Second Chronicles 7.14, thank you. Pastor David, by the way, on Wednesday mornings leads a men, men's group to pray. To simply get together as men. I remember back in the day... Uh, business Christian men's gatherings. When business Christian men were gather and pray, man, I think we need to get back to a, to being a praying church. We need to get back to being a church that is on our knees. Interceding on behalf of our, of our marriages, of our families. Man, there's, there's been things lately in my life that I'm, I'm just not satisfied with. I know God has something more for me. I know he has more for my marriage. I know he has more for my, my family personally. I know he has more for us as a church. I know he has more for this valley that God has put Hope Church here in this valley to be a beacon of hope and to beacon of light. But we've got a part to play. And part of the role that we play is we got to be willing to take time to get down on our knees and pray and seek the very face of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I believe prayer changes things. Prayer shifts things. And there was some, my, my house, just there was this funk, you know, just tension. Get into little arguments. And I just felt something rise up in me. So man, I need I need to get up and I, as a as a father, as the priest of my home, I need to pray over my home. I went into my kids' room. They don't know this. I'm I'm praying over their pillows, putting anointing oil on. I'm going to the door and putting anointing oil on. and I'm I'm just, you know, casting out anything. Get out. Spirit argument. Get out of here. Whatever. Bad attitudes. Get out. And I'm just I'm just praying and you know what? There's this peace that just came over my house saying, man, what if the church started everywhere we go? You know, God gave Joshua a promise. He promised him the promised land. But he said something important to him. It's it's really similar to what he said to Peter. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven. He says, wherever you put your foot, there I've given it to you. He says, now I've already given it to you. But you got to actually put your foot on the ground. What if there's things that God has given this nation that he's just waiting for the people to put a knee on the ground and start praying and interceding and believing for a move of God to once again bring this nation back to its knees and recognize God is God. Because I'm telling you, There are spirits that are trying to turn this nation into a secular humanistic nation and leave God out of the equation to lead us into a place of communism. I mean, you might think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, you start looking at the trends, look at how uh, other nations have gone from being a democratic nation, to not, to socialism. And I'm telling you, when the church gets comfortable, when people get comfortable letting the government be God and provide for you, now that's exactly what the government wants. I'm sorry, I know I'm getting a little... Let's pray. First Timothy 2.1. Listen to what Paul says. I urge you, urge you, church, first of all, first of all, that petitions prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people and it goes on to say even for joe biden even for donald trump for kings and all those in authority that we may live in peaceful quiet lives in all godliness and holiness that is good and it pleases god our savior listen to this verse four who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. God wants Joe Biden saved. He wants Kamala Harris saved. He wants if if Donald Trump isn't saved, I don't know. But if he isn't, he wants him saved. He wants all people saved. You know how it happens when God's people start to pray, when they humble themselves, when they humble themselves, when we recognize God, we can't do any of this without you. We ask you to heal our land. Forgive us. Heal our land. And once again, would you send your spirit on this land? Come on, even right now, Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, I pray that you lead this nation back to you our God and savior. Father, I pray that you would awaken the church at this time for this hour, for this place in history. God, that we would see the greatest revival, that we would be a, initiate the greatest revival, that we would be a people that would lead the way for this nation right here in little Kalispell, Montana, at Hope Church. God, that we would be a praying people, that we would intercede for our leaders and for our government officials and for our nation. Fourth thing, I got to go quickly. I've preached too much. Stand for the truth. You got to stand for the truth. How do you do that? You stand for the truth, man. Um, here's one of the things that Mike Johnson said. Oh, they took my stuff. Here's one of the things that Mike Johnson said. I'll read this to you. I think I can read it. Uh, we're living in a post-Christian modern culture defined by the absence of truth. That makes the claims of the Bible's inherently intolerant, he said. You know, truth has been replaced as the greatest virtue in society by tolerance. Well, we're the the inherently intolerant ones who say, Wait a minute, life is sacred because we're endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, and we have to stand up for those rights. I agree, Mike. We need to be a people that are willing to stand for the truth. So I know, you know, the label is, listen culture wants to put tape over your mouth as a Christian. It wants you to shut up, stay in your nice little churches, worship God, but don't you dare come into our arena. Don't you start speaking truth. Well, I'll tell you, man, if, if, if there's something that's a lie that you're believing, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to speak the truth. I'm not calling you she, hit, either, whatever your pronoun is. I'm sorry. You are who God made you to be, and I'm not going to lie to you and pretend some fantasy that you're not who God made you to be. I'm going to speak the truth. But I'm going to do it in love. I'm going to do it in love. That's the difference. We got to do it in love, church. How do I stand for the truth? Go out and vote for people who stand for biblical values. I don't care what party they are, stand for what what matters to God. And that is biblical principles and biblical values. God stands for life. Vote for people who stand for life. Vote for people who are gonna speak the truth, right? Uh, This is what we have to do. Do you know that over 60 million evangelical Christians out of 60 million registered voters, only 20 million voted. That's only a third of people. One of our rights as Americans is that we have a say. Could you imagine if somebody was gonna get in office when I, that that God had ordained, but because we didn't declare it, we didn't didn't bind it on the earth, we didn't go out and vote. Didn't happen. I wrestled with that, how much is what we're seeing is because we've failed to act we failed to pray we fa- failed to go out and vote get involved in your school board like do something get out and, and go volunteer in your community be the light in the world. Ephesians 6.13, man, put on the full armor of God so that you, the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm, then three stands. That's like mama calling your name three times. God is saying, church, I need your attention. You need to stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around you. Don't compromise the truth, but love well. The last thing is this, we need to live out our faith it's not good enough just to say yes and amen in here and then go out and live like the rest of the world our lives need to reflect a difference like people are looking at the way we live not just what we say not the bumper sticker we put on our car not what we post on facebook but actually how we live our lives and if we're living our lives in genuine faith surrender to jesus following his biblical truths for our lives and obeying them, that's attractive because there's that blessing that comes on people's lives. Brendan Manning said this, I'll end with this. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So how do we respond, church? I think we need to respond simply by repenting, asking God to forgive us as the church. And maybe you're here today, maybe you came with a friend, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're in Eureka, and you don't know this Jesus. Because let me tell you, he's the one who will pull you out of the kingdom of darkness, out of confusion, out of depression, out of anxiety and fear, into his marvelous light. Where the truth of God will set you free. It will make you free. You'll be adopted into the new family of God. God will forgive you of your sin. He'll pour out his love and his life on you. And maybe you're here today and that's your next spiritual step. You need to say, I I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I want that Pastor Lance, I wanna walk in that kind of love and that life and that peace and that joy. You can do that today by making the decision to surrender your life to Jesus. We have an amazing prayer team that's gonna be over here to my left, to your right. Somebody would love to pray with you. We'll get you baptized like we did Austin this morning. But for the rest of us, how many of you this morning would say, I wanna stand, I wanna stand, I wanna be the church. How many of you do that? I want you to stand to your feet right now if that's you. Stand to your feet. I want you to put your hand on your heart. I want to pray for you. The worship team will lead us in the last song. Father, I pray that you would awaken your church for such a time as this. Would you forgive us? Forgive us of being asleep. Forgive us for being comfortable. Forgive us for being complacent. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would awaken in us the Spirit of Jesus to be the light of the world, to be the salt, the preservation agent for culture. God, would you awaken our hearts to live out our faith, to stand for the truth, to be a church that prays and intercedes for those in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplace, and in our families, in Jesus' name.